Please pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn. Come as the living water and slake our thirst, that we might offer your living water to a thirsty world. Come as the oil and anoint us for service and ministry. Come as the dove, that we might have the peace that passes understanding. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Amen. Please be seated. It's become fairly popular in our society and our churches to talk about spirituality, about the spiritual life. Some of you all know that I and others here are very interested and excited about spiritual direction. But that word isn't always as precise as one might hope. I remember some years ago when I was uh, living, serving at a parish in Central California bumping into someone who explained to me very seriously and intently, I'm spiritual but not religious. And, and my first thought was, wow, people actually say that. And, uh, and my second thought was, I don't know exactly what that means. It was clearly expressing something that felt significant to that person, whether it's a sense of connection or an experience of transformation or a feeling of peace, whatever it was. But Often, and I think this is true for practicing Christians, church-going folks as well, we use the word spiritual or spirituality, and it's not obvious how that relates to ordinary everyday life. It doesn't seem very practical or substantial. What does this have to do with doctor's appointments, with dirtiest dishes that need to be washed, with that project that the boss says, I need yesterday? What does being spiritual have to do with all that? And for the record, I'm not here to badmouth spirituality. I'm hoping that one of the goals of the sermon is to help us think about how we might use that word more effectively and precisely as Christians. But I notice Jesus doesn't say so much about becoming a more spiritual person. He talks about sending someone called the helper he says, and we heard this in our reading last week from Acts chapter 1, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is what the disciples are waiting for when they're gathered together at Pentecost. Something specific and concrete is about to happen that's going to change them. Or I should probably say someone is about to happen. Because as uh, Pope Francis once put it, the Holy Spirit, God, is not some misty, diffused, God-like God spray that's a little bit everywhere, but who knows what it is. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. And on that first Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit shows up, his approach is as unmistakable as a hurricane wind that rattles the corners of the building. His action is as immediate as the heat you feel on your face when you stand in front of a fire or facing the rays of the Texas summer sun. His presence is more real than that person sharing your pew. 
And of course, sometimes the Holy Spirit arrives in more subtle ways, but there's a reason that what happens here at Pentecost happens the way it does. It's showing something about who the Holy Spirit is. What the apostles receive from Jesus is not some vague God spray spirituality. Christian spiritual life is nothing more or less than life in and with a person whom Jesus teaches us to call the Holy Spirit. This is daily life. But it's daily life transformed because the apostles have been suffused with divine presence and with divine power. A few of y'all who come to Wednesday Noon Eucharist may have heard me tell this story before, but a number of years ago, my dad related to me a conversation he had had with a young man who said, you know, I believe in God, I try to live like a Christian, but it just doesn't seem very real to me. And my dad, I, I think following the lead of the Holy Spirit, answered him, brother, don't settle for anything less than a Jesus who does stuff. And about a month later, my dad bumped into this young man again, and he, he came over with a big smile on his face and said, thank you so much for what you told to me. And dad says, you're welcome. What did I say? You told me not to settle for anything less than a Jesus who does stuff. Well, He's been doing things. This is essential, friends. Christian faith doesn't just mean thinking true thoughts or engaging in morally appropriate actions. It's about trusting and entrusting ourselves to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Scripture, the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And that God is a God who acts, who does stuff in the world. What does Jesus say? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Those first disciples hear wind, they see flame, divine words are on their tongues. On Pentecost, we see the Holy Spirit taking real action in real life in the real world. But you notice it isn't just the Holy Spirit who's taking action, is it? not even taking action close where the disciples can see it and experience it. Whoa, look at the thing he just did over there. When the fire falls, they're pushed out the door and into the streets. They act too, or rather, they and the Holy Spirit are acting together. Their human actions are infused by the Spirit's supernatural action as part of a single movement. The disciples, enabled by the Holy Spirit, become instruments of the kingdom's arrival. You will receive power, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Now, when we think about divine action, our minds probably run to obvious miracles, healings, prophecies, casting out demons. And look, all those things happen in the Acts of the Apostles. Those things still happen today. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon them at Pentecost, the first supernatural move is proclamation. The Holy Spirit's empowerment is given so the disciples can speak and act to tell what they've seen and heard in Jesus' ministry among them. And to share what the Holy Spirit is continuing to do among them now to confirm and vindicate Jesus' ministry. The Holy Spirit empowers the disciples to speak and act in a way that makes it possible for the crowd to hear and understand. 
And as we find out, if you read through to the end of the chapter, for several thousand of them to respond and come to believe and themselves receive the Holy Spirit as well. The multitude came together, Scripture says, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, people from all around the known world, well beyond the boundaries of the Roman Empire. All of us, we hear them telling in our own tongues, in our heart language, the mighty works of God. All sorts of miracles are going to happen in the book of Acts, and they continue to happen around the world today, but usually these showier miracles are signs pointing toward proclamation of the gospel. That's the point. I don't think it's a mistake that the pattern seems to be more of these overt miracles happening more obviously in places where the gospel is first arriving. Christian spiritual life is life suffused with the Holy Spirit's presence and sustained by the Holy Spirit's power in a way that necessarily spills over to share that presence and power with those around us. And I want to suggest that's the real miracle. The disciples speak and the Spirit is moving through every syllable. He translates and transfigures not just their words, but them, themselves, as a word of divine love and power and blessing so that every part of reality is met and touched and transformed as people experience the Holy Spirit in these men and women who have been enlivened by the Spirit's presence. That's what we see in Acts chapter 2 on the first Pentecost Sunday. The Holy Spirit making these disciples come alive like a fire that blazes up and then expands outward, like a wind in their sails quickening them, sending them out to the far reaches of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. This is life in the Spirit. But there's another side to the true Christian spiritual life as well, because the flame of the Holy Spirit doesn't just send us out. He also draws us in and draws us together toward the warmth, toward the fire. Part of the challenge that we as humans face is that diversity tends to separate us from one another. And we see this in Acts 2. If you're part of a different community with a different culture, speaking a different language, even if you just have different personality, interests, goals, well, what do we have in common? And so we tend to cluster around people like ourselves. There's a struggle living in a diverse society like ours, and often we see that withdrawal. Okay, where, where are my people? Where are the people I belong with, that I fit in with? But look at what happens on Pentecost. The message goes out in all these very different languages from all over the planet, and yet all these voices are proclaiming a single good news. The crowd in Jerusalem is bewildered and they're amazed, I think in part because normally different languages separate us, right? This has been true since God's judgment at the Tower of Babel, but now, the same God is using all sorts of languages to draw all sorts of people toward one another. 
Friends, this is how life in the Spirit works. The Holy Spirit takes these things that ordinarily divide us and uses them to unite us. The Holy Spirit makes variety into the source and the pattern of unity. And this is what we see in our second reading from 1 Corinthians 12. The Christians in Corinth have all sorts of different gifts and strengths and abilities. And just like language or culture or personality, all these different areas of gifting, all these people so distressingly not like me, can be hard for me to appreciate. Hmm? Isn't it sometimes tempting in the face of such confusing otherness to withdraw, to fall back on my own idea of spirituality as a private enterprise? Well, this is what works for me. This is what meets my needs. This is what makes sense. I'll just be over here. But notice that back in the first verse of Acts 2, it's only when the disciples are gathered together that the Spirit arrives in power. From a Christian perspective, there's no such thing as a purely private spiritual life walled off from all those other weirdos who claim to follow Jesus. They receive the Spirit together. They're empowered together, and it's together that they proclaim in such a baffling variety of languages the single undivided good news of Christ Jesus. Life in the Spirit is personal because the Holy Spirit's a person, and he meets us personally. But life in the Spirit is never just an individual project. It's a mutual reality. And this is why for the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, spiritual gifts are not a special present that the Holy Spirit gives me for me to use. Right? Popular mistake. This is not what spiritual gifts are in the New Testament. Spiritual gifts are ways that the Holy Spirit makes us gifts for one another. The Holy Spirit knits this strange, incredible variety into a single body, working in harmony, alivened, and growing to full strength and maturity through the Spirit's power. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. The two halves of this verse mark the rhythm of the Christian spiritual life. Sent out to participate in what the Spirit is doing, bearing his presence to real people in the real world, as real people in the real world. And yet in that same action, being drawn back into the center to the Holy Spirit's own deep love and sustaining presence. We're united with one another as, and only as, we're joined to and filled with the Holy Spirit together. So what does that mean for us? How do we, here in this room at Christ Church Waco, Pentecost Sunday in the year of our Lord, 2022, how do we enter more fully into the true Christian spiritual life? How can we share more deeply in the Holy Spirit's power? I want to suggest three things based on these scripture readings. First of all, if we want to participate in the Christian spiritual life, we need to watch and pray with eager expectation. It's certainly not an accident that in the first chapter of Acts, we see the disciples gathered in constant prayer. And it's in that context that the Spirit's fire falls. So much of the time, I think we fall back into being like that young man in the story I told earlier. We just don't expect God to act in the world around us. It doesn't seem very real. 
So either we fall into that sort of spiritual despondency, spiritual despair, God seems distant, or we take matters in our own hands and act without the spirit leading because someone has to do something for goodness sake. Sometimes we have to wait and allow God to act. But we only wait like Christians if we wait expecting God to act. Probably in a way we don't see coming. It will probably be a surprise. But we should pray with eager expectation that the Spirit's going to move and going to call us into action as well. We have to be ready because sometimes God doesn't act until we ask. And sometimes God is moving, but we miss it because we aren't paying attention. We have to watch and pray with eager expectation. Second, we need to share the message. When God acts, tell somebody what he's doing. Again, like that young man in the story rushing over to my dad, I've got to tell you about what's happened in the last month. Call up a friend, grab a family member, chat up your neighbor, share a praise report, make an act of thanksgiving. Give voice to what you see and hear God doing around you when he moves. I found myself wondering, thinking about this, how often our failure at effective evangelism and disciple making at its root basically comes down to a failure to attend to God's action and respond with gratitude. Friends, this isn't rocket science. No offense to any rocket scientists in the room. Expect God to act, and when he does, tell somebody. It's not complicated. Third, we have to seek and accept God's gifts in one another. Often we experience fellow Christians as sources of confusion, maybe even affliction. Especially Christians who look different or sound different or just plain experience the world differently. How does it look that way to you? Maybe we disagree. You all know these past few years have been really difficult years for churches to stay together. And don't get me wrong, some of those disagreements matter. Some of them are issues of the gospel itself. That's not negotiable. Sometimes we're divided by sin. Other people's, which we notice, are, or often our own, which we pay less attention to. And there needs to be repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation, healing. That's also Holy Spirit work kind of supernatural unity I'm talking about is not possible apart from the Spirit's power. You're not going to pull this off by just practicing better relationship skills. But let's be clear. A strange and staggering variety should be characteristic of the church. Because the Holy Spirit is drawing all sorts of people into life with God. On the first Pentecost, they're all followers of Judaism whether by birth or conversion. But stick around for a few chapters and they're going to be Samaritans. And then a few chapters after that, they're going to be Gentiles. And then the church is going to have to struggle. How do we keep all these people together? How do we live together as one body? How do we even do this? Look at Acts 15. When a brother or sister in Jesus surprises you or baffles you or even possibly rubs you the wrong way, pray. Pray, perhaps even with eager expectation. Holy Spirit, what are you doing here? 
Be open to accepting how the Lord might want to make this person a gift to you. And when he does, express gratitude. Maybe tell the person how they've blessed you. Well, tell somebody. Because it's when we're united, brothers and sisters, when we're united in prayer, in expectation, in the love that the Father has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us, that's when the Spirit takes action and moves with power and sends us back out into the streets proclaiming with joyful assurance the mighty acts of God. You will receive power, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Would you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn. Come as the living water and slake our thirst that we might offer your living water to a thirsty world. Come as the oil and anoint us for service and ministry. Come as the dove that we might have the peace that passes understanding. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.